There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royfield Brown, who's 37.8 minutes north, it was 122.3 minutes west, which puts me back in my beloved Oakland in California. I shouldn't be here. I shall be back home in Blighty, but that's a conversation for another day. And with me is Claire Asprey. Claire, where are you today? Well, it will not come as a surprise to regular listeners that I am at 52.1 degrees north and 0.5 degrees east in Bedfordshire. Map Corner is a podcast dedicated to love of maps and to all things Carter's Billing. So if Peter's is your projection, you're in the right place. And uh, this month, our guest is Phoebe Smith. Phoebe's a travel writer, a hiker, fan of sleeping under the stars. I am, yeah. <laughs> we have an audio postcard from Smethwick in the West Midlands, thanks to our very own Sarah Spilsbury. Now, folks, don't forget to review us on Apple iTunes, uh, because you know what? The more reviews you give us, uh, we go zooming up those podcast charts and we'll get more listeners. So please write us a review. Share the love. And uh, we are sharing the love today with uh, some of our Map Corner listeners live on Zoom on our recording. And if you want to join in on a future recording, do join the Map Corner Facebook group and you'll get an invite every single month. We record every first Saturday of the month at 6pm UK time, which is 1 Eastern and 10am Pacific. And this month we're welcoming Phoebe Smith, who is a woman of many talents and much travel. Um, and uh, yeah, very, very impressive uh, um, travel writer and um, walker, especially. So Phoebe, what got you into the outdoors life and the walking and the camping and the sleeping under the stars? Do you know, it's funny because I, so I grew up in North Wales uh, in the UK, which is an area quite famous for mountains and walking, um, quite, face, uh, quite famous for a place called Snowdonia National Park. But as a, as a kid, I never really went there. You know, I, I didn't really have any role models telling me I could and um, and, or how to do it, what gear I needed or any of that kind of thing. And so I kind of knew it was there, but I always felt like it was for other people. And then it took me on a journey um, to the other side of the world, to Australia. Um, and someone convinced me to spend the night in a swag bag in the outback. And, uh, and I was completely hooked from that point on, you know, seeing the stars come out, um, watching the, the wildlife come close, seeing the sunrise in the morning. And I, I became addicted to what I call wild camping and extreme sleeping and seeking out adventures in remote and wild places. And of course, to do that, you need to be able to read a map. And so, uh, yeah, which is why when you guys got in touch, I thought this would be good. Talking about something, my, my shelves, my bookshelves are literally full of maps, not just from here in the UK, but from wherever I visit overseas. I always like to pick a map up of where I am or where I've been or where I'm going so that I can revisit it just by looking at like the contour lines. Absolutely. That's very much the uh, the ethos of the map corner crowd is uh, the first thing you do when you're going anywhere is to make sure that you have a map 
And do, so do you have favorite types of maps that you use? Are there kind of ones that you think are the best for your kind of adventures? Yeah, so here in the UK, I, I always use the Ordnance Survey maps because we're very fortunate here that we've got some of the best mapping in the world that, you know, has had a whole history of, of, uh, of surveying the whole landscape. Um, and, and I particularly like the 1 to 25,000 scale ones because when you're trying to find somewhere to spend the night, um, bear in mind that in the UK, it, it's not, it, you're allowed to do it in Scotland, you're allowed to do it in Dartmoor National Park, which is where I am at the moment. Um, but you're not technically allowed to do it without landowner's permission elsewhere, but it's kind of accepted if you do it, you know, um, politely and kind of stay off grid and leave no trace. So you need a good map where you can look and work out features, work out sheltered spots, uh, work out where you'll not get a nice view, which is always important for me. Um, so yeah, one with as much detail as I can, but is useful detail as well. So what's your top tips for finding somewhere to uh, extreme sleep? <laughs> Well, you want to be, the whole point is to be away from other people. So, you know, the furthest you can go from a road, um, well off the footpath. Um, I particularly love the mountains, as you can see from my backdrop. So I like to go somewhere high, but among that environment, obviously you need a bit of flat ground. So you can pitch a, a tent or if you want a hammock, you want somewhere where there's a little bit of woodland. Um, a water source nearby is always handy to be able to um, cook and, uh, and boil waters for, for drinking. Um, and uh, and somewhere a little bit sheltered. If there's like a little depression or a rock formation, you can kind of shelter behind if it gets a bit windy. Um, and me personally, because I am a writer and uh, I love stories, I, I like somewhere that's got a bit of history to it. And um, I find maps are a great place to uh, start your research because a lot of the place names actually indicate and kind of tell you a lot about the past of a place or maybe the folklore of the area and you can just learn so much in, I call it like map reading, but not like taking bearings and using a compass. It's sort of reading the map as though it's a storybook. That's great. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I, I love that idea of um, how, how to read a map, the place names, where do they come from? What does it tell us about the history of the place? I think that's uh, incredibly fascinating. But I must admit, you know, I, I'm all, I, when you say you want to get away from people, I quite like people. Right. Uh, my, my whole life, I've quite liked people. Right. So um, what's the most isolated place that you've actually ever been to, which is furthest away from civilization? Um, well, so I'd like to say Antarctica because I have been there. But the very means of by which you get there was I was on an expedition ship. So there were quite a few other people around me, even though we were so far flung. The place where I've actually been on my own and felt the most remote is Greenland. And I did um, a, a multi-day hike called the Arctic Circle Trail. Um, and once you leave where you start from, so it goes from the polar ice cap, uh, a place called Kangalusuak, uh, to Sisamut, which is uh, which is on the West Coast. So you're basically going from ice to ocean. Inland, there's, there's no polar bears, it's too far south, but it is very remote, very committing. Once you set off, it's kind of, it's, there's no escape routes, there's no way of cutting it short, you have to go. Uh, and I remember four days in standing on the top of a, a hill and a, 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 you know, a wild reindeer coming really close to me. Um, I'd already kind of had a run in with, um, with like mountain hares. I'd seen like um, uh, a fox who just started to change his, uh, his coat. I'd been picking um, bilberries to put in my porridge. And I just remember standing there and thinking I've never experienced silence quite like it on this sort of scale. Wow. I have to say, I find that quite terrifying. <laughs> 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 um, you know, so uh, I, I was going to ask you a question about sort of whether what attracts you to this kind of the, the kind of hiking and walking as a sort of uh, as a social activity way of main means of connecting with people, because that is something that people do, or whether it's a way of finding quiet. And it sounds like the finding quiet is quite a big thing for you. Yeah, I, I, I do both. I think it's like all these things. It's like, um, it's like you were saying, uh, Royfield, like, I like people as well. Like, don't think I'm just a complete hermit who hates everyone and wants to be on my own. But um, I think it's great to be like in a busy city and being sociable with people. But then it's also wonderful to go and have no one around at all. And you're just you. And I'd like to say I like to go and sit there and think. But actually, it's completely opposite. I go there and I don't think it's I'm just there in the moment and appreciating my surrounds and the landscape and 
the place I'm in and just feel really, really lucky. Um, and then the longer I've been doing it, you know, I will take friends out. I've taken friends' kids out. I've taken groups of young people. Wait a minute. Are they still your friends after you've taken to the remotest bit of Greenland and whatever it's like? <laughs> well, I might not start by taking them to remote Greenland, but, um, but yeah, it's that like I, I, my motto with all this is enjoy, not endure. So I'm all about like showing people how to do it and be comfortable because I think that's what put me off. Um, you know, see, I, there's a lot of programs aren't there out there that show like wilderness and the outdoors as being very much a butch macho game that you are being pitted against nature. Whereas actually for me, going into the wilderness is me becoming part of nature. It's me kind of connecting with the landscape. So I don't see it as something to overcome. I see it as a friend almost or a family member. And so when I take people out, it's making sure they've got the right kit. I'll check the weather, make sure I'm, you know, taking them out in the best weather. And of course then, you know, going back to maps, you know, I will look and I will find somewhere where the stories I can tell, where there's, I know what their interests are so I can weave that into our trip. You know, I want to hook them in. I want them to have a nice time. I don't want to, yeah, take them out into the middle of nowhere and make them feel absolutely terrified. That's not what I'm about. <laughs> you are a great advocate for going out and about and and, and experiencing nature and, and doing it in that way. But I have to say, I was listening to your podcast uh, today and there was a, the, a bit where you were, you were doing a sort of canoeing trip on the yeah. way to the UK and there was quite a lot of endurance in that because <laughs> you were just cold and wet for pretty much the whole time uh, and I did feel to myself this is not making this particularly attractive as an option <laughs> although I can appreciate the idea that like you can literally be a few miles from your normal habitat and feel like you're in a completely different place I think that's a really good point that you can travel even without going very far by changing your surroundings oh definitely so this was um this was actually so I will put myself through some hardship if I'm doing it as a charitable thing because I think rightly or wrongly as human beings we're much more likely to dig deep and and support someone if they do something that makes them a little bit you know it's a little bit hard it's a little bit miserable so uh, this was my night vision challenge so it was uh, 300 miles of kayaking around the waterways near where I live to raise money for uh, for the Thames Valley Air Ambulance and um, the whole idea was we were raising money so they could buy night vision flying equipment so we we're like let's let's make it even harder let's go at night um, and you're totally right there was storms it was wet it was absolutely freezing just cold all the time blisters but there were some incredible moments and you'll have heard on it the bit where we're listening to the owl and you know you just know there's no one there hearing that and you're hearing an owl so close to you um, and the silence and the, the mist coming up from the water. And there's just these moments that you just, you can't plan them and you can't put a price on them. You know, it's it's just something that happens and all the hardship kind of just gets shifted in perspective. I think when you have moments like that, or, you know, we, we saw like so many shooting stars, like over 30 shooting stars. Like I never would have thought that close to central London, we would have been able to see shooting stars. But we saw that and we saw kingfishers in the in the early morning. And um, yeah, I think it's just you have those serene moments that sort of punctuate the hardship and just make you think, yeah, this was worthwhile. And, and of course, in hindsight, it's always nicer to look back. Maybe in, if you'd asked me in the heat of the moment, I might have said, yeah, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are the essential parts of the of your kit that you absolutely need? Um, I think, well, obviously it depends what I'm doing. Um, I, like we've said, obviously the title of this podcast is a map. I, I need the map. I, I can visualize, you know, I think learning to read a map is a really powerful tool um, because you can be in a place without ever even leaving your chair. You know, you can see it all and the, take in the contours and know exactly the train you're going to get. I always see it as a little bit of like a magic trick. Um, but, but then in terms of my actual kit, I think, you know, it's keeping warm, it's keeping dry. Um, so I always, I, you know, some people will really minimize, say, sleeping bag and camping mat to make things super light, but they're two things I know I need good ones. So I won't go light with that. Um, but I will sacrifice having maybe really fancy meals and I'll just go the lightest sort of dehydrated um, bag. I always take an inflatable pillow because again, enjoy, not endure is my motto. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, I think just an open mind. Because I think that, that doesn't weigh anything. And um, and it, it is absolutely essential if you want to do what I do and, and more importantly, keep doing it. You don't take like anti-bear spray or anything like that, you know. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I really don't. I am, um, you know, and I've obviously been hiking in the US where that actually is a thing. Although someone told me it was a risk in Wales and I told them that sadly wasn't the case because I've seen my fair share of, uh, of grizzlies and black bears and I've not really felt fear because I'm, you know, I've been bear aware and if anything, it's just really humbling to see them. They're absolutely beautiful creatures, um, creatures that need our help. And um, yeah, I, 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 I suppose I don't, I'm aware that there are obviously risks when you go out into these places, but there's risks when you get up out of bed and you could trip over and hit your head on your like side table or you walk out your house and you need to cross a road. There's a risk. You step in your car and drive somewhere. That's the biggest risk you'll probably take every single day. So I think it's a case of you're just more risk aware when you go in these places. And so you manage it by, you know, having, you know, knowing where you are, bringing the right gear to protect yourself from the weather. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and I don't know, for me, it just feels like I'm really seeing a place and really living a life rather than just staying in the same place all the time. So, you know, when you're like communing with nature and you're, you know, whether you're in the Antarctic or Greenland and everything's just still and, and, and I think it's really interesting. You said that actually you're not thinking you're just in that moment, you just are right. Mm. Um, when you, is there anything when you come out of that moment, do you actually, do you actually miss about common or garden life? Do you say, you know what, I do miss a bit of Radio 4 in the Arches or something. <laughs> you know, there's, there has to be some little modicum of something in civilization. You go, oh, you know what, the great outdoors is great, but I miss that. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And I think more than anything, it's convenience. Like when I got back from that Greenland hike and I booked myself into, um, you know, I, I could have booked myself into a campsite in Sissimut where it finished or the hostel, but I purposely booked into like the hotel because I thought I'm going to have like a private room. And when you get back inside that place, all the little things that we take for granted that make our life so convenient, just suddenly have a renewed like amazement, like being able to turn on a tap to get, you know, clean, cold water to drink or hot water to have a shower. Um, you know, knowing that it's raining and you're staying warm and dry, you don't have to do anything to make that happen. Um, flipping a switch and having a light come on rather than rooting around for your head touch. You know, it's, it's, I think of course you miss them, but then there's other things that are just so good that you're prepared to put up with missing conveniences for something else. And, and like I said, you need one to appreciate the other. If I always lived outdoors all the time and I, I did a big charity exhibition at the end of 2019, walking like to Britain. So I was on the road for 40 nights wild camping. Um, and of course, by the end, I was like, oh, it would be so nice to, to be warm and, and dry and not have like my tent was starting to leak. And, you know, but then of course that soon wears off very quickly. I get back home and for the first few days, it was amazing to have central heating and be able to run a hot bath at the end of the day. But then, you know, after a few days, that gets a bit like too easy and, and I want to see more and do more. I quite like easy. <laughs> I fundamentally like easy, um, uh, but come on, admit it, right? You know, when you're in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah. Sit down, right? And you look at the great expanse of nothing and you go, oh, I am part of the world. This is wonderful. You still get out your iPhone, don't you? And play Sudoku afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I really don't. <laughs> I really don't. I, uh, and and you you made a mistake there you did Michael, because you don't look out at nothing you look out at everything um, there is just everything around you and if you've like most people I, I remember taking a friend who lived in London out just to the, the South Downs <clears throat> which is a national park T took about an hour to get there and I took her and her nine year old son and you know she's an intelligent woman and she um you know you know, she knew the names of some of the, the trees and plants or whatever. But when we got up and the sun set and the stars came out, she never realized you could see some of the planets with your bare eyes. She was like, I'm an intelligent woman. How did I not realize this? And, you know, watching that sky, you could just look at it and not think or worry about anything. So suddenly you saw a whole lot of everything. Uh, and, you know, you'll sometimes, I'll go and I'll, I'll just sit somewhere and I'll just close my eyes and listen because how often do we spend that time just to listen 
Uh, and actually you may think, oh, there's nothing out here, but then you might hear some scurrying in the bushes, you know, and maybe there's a badger or a squirrel and maybe there's a deer uh, and maybe you'll smell something and you think, oh, actually over this ridge is actually where they bake all this bread for this company. And, and that's the smell that I'm, I'm sensing, or maybe there's a fire left over from where a farmer was, um, was doing something. So there's, there's just so much there to read and take in. And, and like I said, I, you know, I won't lie to you. I'll often go into the outdoors and for a while camp if I'm stressed about something. And I, I often do go, like I said, with the intention of I'm going to think through this problem. But actually, I think what going into these places does is it, it, it makes you not think about them, but somehow it's all being taken care of and you end up coming back out again, back home. And I don't know, you just, if I could, if I could bottle the feel I get, the feeling I get from doing this, and sell it, I would be completely rich because everyone would want some of this. Wow. Can, how, how has it affected you in the last sort of well, year and a bit now throughout COVID, where obviously you've done a lot of travel writing and there's not been a heck of a lot of travel going on, but obviously <laughs> you can also do things locally, I suppose. But how has it impacted on you? Because obviously it presumably restricted your ability to get out and about quite so much. Yeah, no, and it did. And I found it really hard. I mean, at first, especially during the first lockdown, which I think was the most strict, <clears throat> I found myself, I um, I ended up buying a macro lens for my, my DSLR camera. Um, and I ended up making my walks about, rather than going massive distances, it was more about focusing in on the little things and, uh, you know, looking at, looking at a tree. And if you ever looked at a tree and seen like moss or lichen growing on it, you'll just kind of look and go, oh, that's a patch of green. But if you look at that same patch through a macro lens, which basically you're looking really into the minutiae detail, it suddenly looks like a jungle and a forest. And, and you, you just see it on, on a very different level. So definitely the macro photography helped me through it. Um, like you said, locally, it made me search a lot harder um, for places near, near me where I could get out. <clears throat> I got really into um, wild swimming. So obviously pools and stuff were closed and I wanted to try something a bit new. Uh, and we were very lucky we had good weather in the UK during the lockdown. And so I could go swimming in the river um, and find some good spots there. Um, and like you said, yeah, I would, I would write about trips I'd already done because obviously, luckily I could still sell, uh, sell work about things I'd already done and about UK travel. Um, but yeah, of course, it was like everyone, it was difficult, but it was just about making the best of the situation I found myself in. And, and again, I know I keep harping on, and uh, but looking at the maps is something to do that, planning for future trips, looking back at places I've been before, and again, learning a bit more about places I'd like to go or I've already been and think, oh, I didn't realise there was this cave on here where, you know, Owen Glyndur you know, the original Prince of Wales was said to escape and hide from the English when they were trying to, you know, get rid of him to kind of take away the power from Wales. And, you know, I didn't know that cave was there. So next time I go, even though it can't be for a while, I'm going to go seek that out. And then that becomes part of a plan and part of a story I can tell sort of later. So where's your top sort of choice destinations when things open up a bit more? For, for UK or overseas? Either. Um, for UK, I, um, I, I'm lucky now things have started to ease. So my family live in Wales still and I, I don't. So it was my first thing was going into Wales because the mountains there, are like I said, it's like going to visit family now. So I, I straight away went back there. Um, I'd really like to go up to Scotland. Um, I love it up there. And so definitely that's on my list to go. Um, and then, I don't know, it's really difficult one to answer because one, right now we're seeing obviously these traffic light system, which is so confusing. So I've not really been I've had so many conversations with so many different tourist boards about where potentially I could go and there's tons of stories out there but I don't know it's very difficult to say um where to go next I suppose I've got trips that I'm supposed to do in um in Canada so I'm supposed to head to the um you'll love this one Royfield the, the far north where it's lovely and cold and supposed to uh don a dry suit and go swim with narwhal which are obviously the uh the unicorns of the sea um, I have some other trips over in Australia I'm supposed to do. Again, probably won't be till next year now. Um, and for me, you know, going to say Western Australia with wide open spaces, um, hardly anyone around seems the perfect, uh, perfect place to go to after lockdown. Um, but I think, yeah, I'd quite like to go back to some cities again. I think they need our love and attention too. And I think it'll be interesting to see 
how some of they how some how they look you know places like say venice who were complaining of over tourism pre-lockdown because too many people were coming and the big cruise ships and now of course they they've been kind of rendered almost like ghost towns so it would be quite interesting to see how they've changed uh same with iceland you know that was a place where over tourism was a buzzword just pre-pandemic and and now it's kind of like we need to work on a strategy to get people coming back here because of course i think it's made people realize that their livelihoods do depend on tourism quite a bit and you know i'm sure you know you guys think the same you know travel's the the best education you can have to open people's minds and make people realize that we're more the same than we are different um and that you know the world is really a wonderful place and so the people you know most of the people in it it's certainly been a way of traveling vicariously to listen to your podcast so <laughs> that's been a good lockdown tip <laughs> thank um, you very much <laughs> we should um pause uh phoebe smith uh, for now and uh, go on to our quiz and uh, phoebe you know we have rabid viewers here on, on zoom uh, to yeah. Matt Warner. Ken's going for his piece of paper already. Exactly. They do <laughs> not mess around uh, with, with the quiz. And uh, to win our quiz is rather prestigious. First question. Ida Blackjack was stranded on the Arctic island for eight months in 1923. What company did she have in her isolation? Was it A, the ship's cat, B, an Arctic fox, or C, a duck? Now, Claire, I, I can honestly say... I didn't know any of these answers, right? These no, no, it's very much, this is all inspired by um, by Phoebe's Wonder, Wonder Woman podcast uh, <laughs> and subjects that have been in it. Uh, but it is very much for everyone uh, in, enjoying the quiz this time around. It's very much a take a guess type of quiz this time rather than you're likely to know this. You might know a, a bit in some niche bits of information, but on the whole, this month is very much a um, take a lucky guess. So, 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 Phoebe, if you get any of these wrong, for shame, for shame. I know. I was just thinking that. I've got to get them all right. Luckily, I know this one, so we're good so far. <laughs> Question number two, Catherine R R Routledge. Uh, which famous culture did Catherine research and document in an expedition in 1914? Was it the Inuit? Uh, and we talked about uh, Northern Canada just now, Easter Island, or is it uh, the Maori uh, culture? So uh, which culture did she document in 1914? Was it Inuit? Was it Easter Island? Or was it the Maori uh, culture in 1914? Question number three, Freya Stark. At the age of 30, what lifestyle was Freya seeking to leave behind by uh, learning languages? Was it traveling and uh, learning languages, traveling and writing about in the Middle East? Actually, I know this one. A housewife, a, a flower farmer or a primary school teacher. So Freya Stark at the age of 30, what lifestyle did she leave behind by learning languages? Was it tra and, and learning languages, traveling and writing about the Middle East? Was it um, a housewife, a flower farmer or a primary school teacher? Question number four. Anne Sayer. Uh, rower and long distance walker, Anne remains the fastest woman to walk from Land's End to John O'Groats, setting which time in 1980? Was it 15 days, 17 hours and 42 minutes? Was it B, 14 days, 17 hours and 42 minutes? Or was it C, 13 days, 17 hours and 42 minutes? These are so fiendish unless of course, you've been paying attention to Phoebe's uh, great podcast. Question <laughs> number five, where does Phoebe visit the uh, Manta Trust, which records and protects manta rays? Was that in New Zealand, Hawaii or the Maldives? Where does Phoebe visit the Manta Trust, which, which records and protects manta rays? Does she do that in New Zealand, Hawaii or the Maldives? On her British waterway trip, Phoebe travels through the Braunston Tunnel in Northamptonshire. Which canal runs through the tunnel? Is it A, the Grand Union, B, the Oxford Canal, or C, the Kennet and Avon Canal? On her British waterway trip, Phoebe travels through the Braunston Tunnel in Northamptonshire. Which canal runs through the tunnel? Is it the Grand Union, the Oxford, or the Kennet and Avon. The mating rituals of which animal 
are the feature of Phoebe's visit to Wyala? Wyala, yeah. <laughs> South Australia. Wallabies, whales or cuttlefish? Which mating rituals are... The mating rituals of which animal are the feature of Phoebe's visit to Arla in South Australia? Is it wallabies, whales, or cuttlefish? And then the last question is, how many major villages are there along the lower north shore of Quebec which are accessible only by boat? Good heavens. Right, is it A, 5, B, 8, or C, 15? How many major villages are there along the lower north shore in Quebec, which are accessible only by boat? Is it A, 5, B, 8, or C, 15? So if you know your, your Phoebe Smith Wonder Woman podcast, that was a snip. If you don't... <laughs> <laughs> Probably a little bit more problematic this month. <laughs> this is the time where we uh, throw the mic open uh, to our good people on Zoom. And this is um, a reminder for those of you that are listening to the podcast, all couple of thousand of you that download this podcast. Um, if you follow us on Facebook, uh, you actually get uh, you get the inside scoop. You get the Zoom link. So you can actually then join us when we record and you can uh, pose a question to our intrepid guest. Well, this one, this week's very intrepid. Last <laughs> month, less so. He was a chef in chef in, in, in a kitchen. It wasn't so intrepid. But uh, Phoebe uh, is somebody of um, equal import, shall we say. So um, I'm going st to start things off, uh, Phoebe. You, yeah. bloody, you bloody scare me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see myself as um, intellectually daring, but physically less so. How could you inspire a softie like me, an urbanite? Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Who loves concrete, tarmac, exhaust fumes, to go out into the wilds and sleep under the stars. I'd say it's all about starting small. So, so the first thing I did, if you really, really don't want to go, don't go. I'm quite happy to be out there on my own. <laughs> I think if you, if you would like to try it, it is about, you know, having a good time. So you don't have to go on your own. You could take a friend, you could take a loved one. Um, look for a good weather window. Again, it goes back to my thing of enjoying, not enduring it. Make sure you have a good night so you can see the stars Choose somewhere fairly local, so somewhere that doesn't feel so scary. Because when you go into these places, it tends to be when things are going dark because, you know, following the wild camping etiquette of arriving late and leaving early. Um, so everywhere looks different at night. So I'd say go somewhere that you know quite well. Go and do go and walk it in the daytime first and have a look at those spots and, and see where you would camp. Um, 
I'd say if you know you get cold, take plenty of layers. And like I said, a good sleeping bag, a good sleeping mat. And if you go somewhere, go where the walking's not too far. So if in the middle of the night you are too cold or tired and you need to go back to your car, you can. And then I'd say take some little comfort. So when I took my friend's son out, who was nine, I knew he had a sweet tooth. So right near going to bed, there was a chance to do some uh, roasting of marshmallows over our small campfire. Um, For his mum, there was a half bottle of red wine. Um, That certainly helped her enjoy it. Um, so yeah, it's the little things for me. I'm a chocoholic. So there's always plenty of chocolate in my, uh, in my case. Um, and just go and give it a try and know that, you know, I'm, I was, I'm nothing special. I'm just a normal person who happened to discover how much fun this was. And, um, and wanted to kind of share the love to say that I really think it's been portrayed as something that's for really hardcore people, but it's not, it's, it's, you know, the outdoors for me is the ultimate leveler. You, if it rains, it rains on all of us exactly the same. It doesn't matter our our race, our, our religion, our gender, our class. like Phoebe, you're wrong. You're wrong. Nick Roworth and I are fundamental disadvantage if it rains on our heads because we've got no hair. You know, it's going <laughs> to impact on us significantly more than others. Uh, but, oh, no, but that's an advantage because wet hair stays wet for ages, whereas a bald head, you can wipe it off. Wipe clean. And in the sun, it's like a solar panel, isn't it? <laughs> Ken McDonald, sir, how hardcore are you? Phoebe says you've got to be hardcore for this stuff. Did you go camping much, Ken? Well, you know, I'm I'm a backpacker, and actually, I I, I did have a question I wanted to ask. I, I was backpacking with my nephew in 2019 in, in Yellowstone. He lives just outside the park. Yeah, and we had a debate. Uh, you know, England, Great Britain is described as one of the most nature deprived places on earth. And he, he was there visiting his sister uh, and had been very unimpressed with the UK Yeah. As, uh, as far as nature. And that's all he's into. He lives just outside the park. He's, he's in the back country right now. He spends a lot of time inside Yellowstone and there's nothing in the UK to compare to that. And, you know, I was debating with him as we were hiking through Yellowstone and I was Actually, I mentioned uh, the Highlands of Scotland. I mentioned Dartmoor. I mentioned Snowdonia, all these places that you've mentioned. But but I suppose they do pale in comparison. And yet it seems you spend a lot of time. I mean, you go to Australia, you go to Greenland, but you've also spent a lot of time uh, right in your native land. And you seem to find satisfaction there. So I guess you disagree. You're, you take my position, not my nephew's. Definitely take your position. I think he's not gone to the right places. Um, mm-hmm. he's not been he was in Woking and in, 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 in fairness, <laughs> I think his sister in Woking, he made it as far as uh, Southampton. So, oh, well, there you go. Like if he was Woking, <laughs> he probably went to like Box Hill, which is, um, nothing wrong with Box Hill. Great starter hill. Great to take kids up. There's a cafe on the top. There's lots of trails. It's good for mountain biking, but yeah, if he never went that much further, um, you know, he was missing out. Like I said, South Downs were on his doorstep, the new forest, uh, it was really nearby the Surrey Hills. Further, if you'd have explored a bit more, you, you had could have no gone to Dartmoor. It's not really; it's not that far. No, exactly. And you could get the train. And I, I suppose, yeah, it is. It is just again. It's and it goes back to I think of packing an open mind because um, Yellowstone. I'm not going to argue with you. It's gorgeous, and the wildlife there is incredible. But for instance, the mosquitoes, by the way, the mosquitoes are absolutely pissed <laughs> It's beautiful, but yeah. mosquitoes. Mosquito, I mean, I can't really say much because we have a midgy problem, uh, especially in Scotland in the summertime. Uh, I noticed the midges in Scotland, but you don't seem to have them down where you are now, do you? No, no, not at the moment, but it's certain weather, certain conditions. Um, I just got back from uh, uh, doing some filming in Snowdonia and uh, they were they were pretty rife there. They were everywhere. <laughs> um, but again, it's, you know, it's, um, uh, yeah, I just don't, I totally agree with you. I think Yellowstone is beautiful, but it's beautiful, in a different way, it's, um, you know, and, you know, you go to, say, the Cairngorms here in Scotland and, you know, you can, it can feel like you're in the Arctic. There's, there's this one hill where there's a permanent patch of ice there the entire year, even when it gets really hot in the summer. You know, we have beautiful bird life. We have um, wild cats. We have, um, they, they call it Scotland's Big Five. You know, you can journey up to... Um, away from the Cairngorms, you could go to sort of Fort William and within a single day, you know, you can see the, the otters, you can see the sea eagles, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, the, the pine martins. There's, there's so much that you could see. And, um, 
yeah, I think it is just about your mindset and, and being prepared. Right. Yeah, it's not the same scale that, that you guys are lucky enough to have over there, but what we do have is uh, is pretty incredible and so much history to it and a history mm-hmm. of you know, the battle for walkers' rights over here because we have so much land that isn't public uh, that we've had to you know have a history of fighting to get access to. So for me, it's mm-hmm. almost like a little bit of a, a win just to go on a walking path and think that, you know, if I'd have gone yes. back 100 years, I couldn't have done it. Royfield should appreciate since it wasn't it was near Manchester, right, where the the fight for exactly, water. the Peak District, yes. Yeah, uh, so excuse me, Bir- Birmingham. I should, Birmingham, his hometown, <laughs> right? The Peak yeah, District, so close to the Peaks, close yeah. to still Midlands though, still Midlands though, uh, Royfield. True, true, true that, true that. <laughs> Here we have um, another question. I saw Fiona Power. You you, uh, you you came on camera, so I'm presuming that you're primed. I used to be, Phoebe, I used to be a great walker in my youth. At the age of 16, I did the St. Michael Way from uh, Cornwall to Kent. Nice. Um, uh, Oh, it was amazing. It was an amazing trip. And I had time, so it took me a couple of months. I didn't didn't speed along. I I went from from interesting place to interesting place. And, you know, there, there are so many wonderful walking places in Britain. I live in Pennsylvania now, by the way. Yeah. There are so many wonderful places in Britain that where that people don't think of. I used to work right in the hills of the Mendips on the West Mendip Way. Yeah. And you don't get very many walkers. I mean, that is the joy of the, the smaller walks in, in Britain where you, you don't meet anybody, you don't see anybody. Yeah. Um, from uh, Exmoor, of course, and the Quantocks, plenty of walks where you can go overnight and not see a single soul. Um, I suppose my question is about do, do, um, Pennsylvania has some wonderful uh, parks and wonderful places. We're very, very wooded and we have loads of waterfalls. I still enjoy walking. But now that I have a, a leg injury, I can't walk very far. So the way that I, and I hope that that will end one day soon and I'll be able to do it again. But one of the ways that I I do it is I go out into the woods and there are wonderful places in Pennsylvania where you can rent a cabin. Yeah. And it is a cabin in the middle of nowhere. It's not a cabin next to another cabin. Yeah. And you can park your car at the cabin and then go for short walks. Do you think that's cheating? No, absolutely not. You know, I think that when when I started doing this, so I wrote a book called Extreme Sleeps and I got completely trolled when I wrote it by people saying that, oh, it's not extreme. It was about my my journey into becoming a woman who loved the outdoors. You know, what I called it my journey from being a, a normal woman who liked to sleep on a mattress to someone who would much rather sleep out on a grassy hillside. But um, I, I say it's in the eye of the beholder. And, and, you know, if you've got a leg injury, going and doing that, it's still pretty hardcore like some people would go oh my goodness I wouldn't want to be stuck out that way and you know so absolutely not I again it's for me I don't think it's about being judgmental and I don't really care what anyone else thinks or wants to do I I want to inspire people to find their way to the outdoors whether that's doing what I do and doing long walks and like what you used to do or just simply going and sitting in the middle of the woods in a cabin um, and just sort of letting nature work its work its magic. So I think as long as people do that, and um, and Pennsylvania, I know I I, um, I did a uh, I went on assignment out there to uh, to cover the Appalachian Trail. So I was doing a, a a little bit of a section hike in each of the fourteen states that it goes through. And I remember, is it the Delaware Gap? Is it the yeah Del- the Delaware yeah. Water Gap? It's very close to me. I know yeah. it well. I yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that area. So I did a couple of hikes around there and um, and I think they put me up, they just, in one of the uh, the places where you could stay, they just put up these new kind of teepees that you could stay in. So it's yeah. definitely much more glamping, but it, it was a wonderful time. And I and there were lots of kids staying there who showed me how to make proper American s'mores because of course we don't have the, the graham crackers that you guys can get over there. And they were just loving it. And it, they weren't doing anything particularly difficult, but you sort of think those kind of experiences will make them fall in love with it hopefully and even if not straight away maybe in a few years time when they get older and they have their kids they'll go back and repeat those experiences so um yeah no absolutely not cheating and um very envious of where you are at the moment (laughs) it's it's wonderful actually to do I've never done the Appalachian Trail I have friends who have done it and after talking to them I have no desire to do it (laughs) 
<laughs> I love doing Appalachian short walks, you know, the short trails, the day, the day walks. They're fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Folks, uh, we need to move on uh, because we have the most fantastic, most excellent of audio postcards, or if you're watching on Zoom, video postcards. This comes all the way from my almost home, right next door to Birmingham. This is Sarah Spilsbury talking about her hometown, Smethwick. Welcome to Smethwick, home instance of political importance. Yes, really. First off, a few other fascinating facts about the borough, including B66, located at 52.4 degrees north and 1.9 degrees west. There's no excuse for not being able to reach Smethwick. The main drag has not one, not two, not three, not four, but five different ways of getting down it. The original high street, the dual carriageway, the train line, and not one but two canals. The second being constructed with more cuttings and embankments to create a straighter route. It also has two train stations, Rolf Street opposite the temple and a statue commemorating the secret contribution to World War I and split level Golden Bridge named for the nearby Thomas Telford Canal Spanning Bridge. The place has a lot of industrial heritage and allegedly featured on Soviet maps as a site of special importance because we're very interested in the proletariat means of production. Smethwick produced tanks for Russia in World War II and was also home until 2002 to the NB Brewery, a site so large it had its own railway and fire station. But I promised you politics, so politics you're going to get. In 1918, the ward boundaries had been redrawn, making Smethwick a new constituency, and it's possibly this that attracted the attention of Christabel Pankhurst, noted suffragette to stand in the area as the Women's Party candidate. This was a controversial move as she ousted the existing candidate, Major Samuel Knock Thompson, a local brewery owner involved with metal and bell founders in the area and voluntary battalion of the Worcestershire Regiment. Her swanning into the area, boasting her education, putting out pictures of her wearing a university graduate's mortarboard and gown did nothing to endear her to the working class punters of the parish. Basically, reading between the lines, think the good life's Margot Ledbetter does politics. Anyway, she lost to a Labour candidate, John E. Davison. And since him, no MP for Smethwick or Worley, as it's now known, has been from the area. Davison resigned in 1926, leading to a by-election in which a successful winner was Oswald Mosley. But don't think... Unkindly of the locals, this was way before he was to found the British Union of Fascists and was standing under a Labour flag. He previously stood against Neville Chamberlain in 1924 in the Ladywood area of Birmingham, right next door to Smethwick. And on occasion was a tight-run job with Mosley demanding free recounts, refusing to believe he'd lost. Smethwick is notoriously Labour, apart from one guy in the 1960s, John Griffiths, who equally notoriously had as his electoral strapline, if you want a expletive deleted for a neighbour, vote Labour. This caught the attention of Malcolm X, who decided to pay a visit to Smethwick on 12th February 1965, mere days before his assassination on the 21st of February. Because at the time, the area was considered a hotbed of racial tension, and posed for pictures on Marshall Street wearing a Russian-style furry hat. And completes the hat-trick of Russian references, it may have been Smethwick-born Superintelligent Service Officer Oswald Rayner, who had a hand in killing Rasputin. But where the heck is Smethwick? Historically in Staffordshire, Smethwick had been created as a municipal borough in 1899, a county borough in 1906, and a parliamentary constituency for the first time in 1918. Then, for constitutional purposes, became Worley, comprising of Oldbury and Smethwick. The name Worley comes from Worley Woods, now a park and golf course. In 1974, for local government purposes, Worley and West Bromwich became Sandwell, a catch-all term for the six towns, Oldbury, Rowley Regis, Tipton, Wensbury, West Bromwich and Smethwick, the last being the closest to Birmingham. It's also the biggest borough in Britain not to have its own postcode. You can move so, around. There you go. Proof that anywhere is interesting if you scratch the surface enough. And with that, as we say in these parts, Tarara Beat. Wasn't that most excellent? 
And I must admit, I did actually pin your picture because like she's got the same uh, picture of the rotunda that I have as well. Yes. Uh, right, right behind you. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great. I've got that whole set, this whole set of them, isn't there, of uh, Birmingham landmarks done by the same graphic artist. But that, that's, that's awesome. I've got, I've got the Spaghetti Junction one as well. But yes. wow, that, that, thank you for the video. You, you've really done, done me proud. No, no, no. You did us proud. because I'm done a good piece of work between I, us. I don't know an awful lot about Smethwick and I'd forgotten about Malcolm X, as I kind of said to you uh, before we started. I, I, I remember reading about it about five years ago. Blooming hell, Malcolm X went to Smethwick. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, it, it's like two worlds colliding, so, so to speak. But uh, great job. Uh, well done. So I suppose what we should do, uh, good people, is uh, go back to the quiz and, and give you some. Oh, no, we're going to do that right at the end. Claire, I'm going to shush. It's over to you. Right, we're going to do the social media roundup. A uh, quick one this week, uh, this time. So on the Twitter at the hashtag Map Corner, one of the things I wanted to flag there was uh, a few tweets from at uh, Shambolic Adult, which is an interesting little <laughs> handle, who has been posting photos of his decoupage uh, map project where he has been um, adorning the furniture of his narrowboat with maps, and it looks fantastic. I have to say, I'm very inspired. Um, I might just start attaching bits of map to uh, pieces of furniture in my own home because I have been inspired by that. So the other thing that I would say, I, I, I put something on the um, the hashtag map corner on on Twitter as well, which was one of the weirdest maps I've ever shared, which was around a map showing where sea cucumber crime was occurring so if you didn't know that sea cucumber crime was a thing uh it is a thing and uh it's particularly concentrated around the north of sri lanka and you can see a map of that if you check out that um that that hashtag on twitter so um i'm sure you'll all be rushing to your twitter accounts for that one so uh over in our facebook group we've had some good discussions again this month i think i prompted one of the the most amount of discussion uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I've just got a new car, and I deciding whether or not to transfer my roadmap into the new car, and I have finally decided to retire my 2015 road atlas, partly because all the pages that are near me have fallen out already. Uh, and it's mainly showing me parts of the country that I don't tend to go to. <laughs> so um, we had a long discussion about whether people still have a roadmap. Uh, or whether they rely on GPS, and even or a lot of people who are true map corner people who have maps but no car. And I thought that was more interesting. I was, I thought it was far, there were far more people who volunteered to say they had maps but no car than people who said they had cars but no maps. Um, that just goes to show that uh, this is the company that we keep. Also, uh, another one that we uh, posted was around European countries with a population smaller than London or fewer, the fewer people than London, as we say, in terms of getting the grammar right, um, including Portugal, which I was really surprised by. I mean, I was thinking about that, particularly because of our guest last month being uh, Portuguese. If you'd asked me whether Portugal's population was greater than London's, I would have assumed that it was, but not so, apparently so. So there you go. And um, Brandon Brinkley um, posted again about, and we've seen this before, around the GeoGuessr uh, YouTube channels, uh, which, you know, is a fun way of passing the time. Perhaps we ought to do a bit of a Map Corner special on those. And I think we also perhaps need a Map Corner special uh, for Catherine Shoplin, who posted a, a kind of a query about, you know, what, what do we really mean by Scandinavia? Um, and prompted quite a lot of discussion around what bits were in or out of Scandinavia, geographically, linguistically, and culturally. Um, and I think that is really interesting um, discussion to have. So we'll, we'll see if we can find ourselves a, a theme around that perhaps for a future, for a future show. So that's the highlights of the uh, Map Warner uh, socials. But uh, a reminder, obviously, for people listening that, you know, come and join us in the uh, Facebook group. You get to chit chat with other Map Cornerers and uh, show us your maps and uh, talk about the maps that we like to see on the social media. If anybody hasn't done GeoGuessr before, Phoebe, have you ever, have you ever done that? No. It is unreal. Like, you, it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on i'm telling you <laughs> it's brilliant so there's there's a few websites that do this geo guesser thing um you'll have a random image taken from uh google google earth yeah. and you just got to guess where it is and depending on your level of com uh, complexity 
you know, you can maybe have like a few clicks around and whatever, but invariably it's like a road mm. and it can be done in the middle, middle of anywhere. And there are scores of people around the world. It's actually a guy from Birmingham who is the geo-guessing king. Like, <laughs> you can show him the contracted desert and with a road, and he'll go, yeah, I know exactly where that is, bang, like this. But it's a real, it's a real art of, of deduction. So if yeah. you do a few clicks, you know, you will see a road sign or what side of the road are the cars on? Um, what is the topography type of thing? So I remember the best one that I ever got was I was half a mile away from where it absolutely was. And I guess it was Exeter in England and blah, 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 because blah, you can figure things out and stuff. But it is phenomenal. And the people who are really good at GeoGuessr are amazing at GeoGuessr. You know, wow. it's Sherlock Holmes deduction, you know, by looking at a random image and going, wait a minute, the sun's here, the shadow's there. So I reckon it's taken at this time of the day and da, 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 and it's this part of planet Earth. And the, oh, just loads of fun. Fiona, log off now. GeoGuessr. You, you'll thank me for it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, what, what we should do, what we should do, of course, now is give you the answers uh, to the quiz, because um, to be the winner of the quiz is so prestigious around here that I know that Nick Roworth and Kane McDonald can come to blows over um, you know who has got. Well, they're in different continents, <laughs> otherwise they'd be fisticuffs. Virtual blows, virtual blows as to who is who is the king of the um, map corner quiz. So question number one. Now, Claire, I haven't actually, actually, what we should do, Phoebe, is get you to shout out the answers because I haven't done the, the answer slides here. So by the <laughs> blackjack, stranded on the Arctic uh, uh, and an Arctic island for eight months in 1923, what company did she have uh, to keep a company during her isolation? And the answer is... The ship's cat. Yay, a ship's cat. <laughs> Catherine Routledge, which famous culture did uh, Catherine research and document in an expedition in 1914? And the answer is? It's Easter Island or Rapa Nui. Yay. Um, Freya Stark, at the age of 30, what lifestyle was Freya seeking to leave behind by learning languages, travelling and writing about the Middle East? And I actually know this one, but Phoebe... You no, oh, you tell us, Roy Phil. Go on. Flower farmer, flower farmer. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, Anne Sayer, um, rower and long distance walker. Anne remains the fastest woman to walk from Land's End to John O'Groats, which is the length of uh, Great Britain. Setting which time in 1980? And the answer is... You're going to have to remind me on this one, Rowfield. I genuinely cannot remember which. I keep thinking, is it C? And then I'm like, no, maybe it was A. Claire, do you know? It's C. C. Oh, there you go. I, I should have gone with my gut. Of my, I knew it was in there somewhere. <laughs> Where does Phoebe visit the Manta Trust, which records and projects uh, protects Manta rays? That was in the Maldives. Yay. The Maldives. That sounded great. Oh, it's an incredible place. If you ever want to swim with the mantas, that's the place to go. <laughs> On her British waterway trip, Phoebe travels through the Braunston Tunnel in Northamptonshire. Which canal runs through the said tunnel? And the answer is? The Grand Union Canal. I would have guessed that. The mating rituals of which animal are the feature of Phoebe's visit to uh, Wyala in South Australia? It's the cuttlefish. There you go, folks. <laughs> and then, last question. How many major villages are there along the lower north shore in Quebec, which are accessible only by boat? Now, I should quickly say that I took this off the lower north shore generic tourism website <laughs> and worked it out. So um, there are a lot of settlements, but they listed a number of villages. And then they said the road goes up to here. And then there's no road until you get along to there. So I counted the villages that were in between, and that's what the answer is. So um, again, this is more of a guessing one. But Phoebe, do you want to have a go? Yeah, I think it's eight. You're right. Yes. <laughs> wow, you, you aced 
that. Well <laughs> <Funny> that. <laughs> Oof. So it's that time where we go into gallery view and we say, other than Phoebe Smith, who got all eight? Hold your hand up. Seven. Do I have seven? Do I have six? Sergio doesn't have his camera on, so if he's holding his hand up, um, I, I can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got his hand-drawn map behind him. Lovely job. <laughs> um, who can... Do I have five? Do I have five? Did you have five as <laughs> well, Sarah? So Nick Roworth and Ken McDonald both have five. I told you, fisticuffs, Phoebe. You know, happens frequently with these pair. Right, so... <laughs> Um, how we how are we going to work, work this out, Claire? Who's going to be the victor this month? Well, Ken was just telling us before we started the show about his recent trip to Chicago. But I oh. feels like that would be a good subject for an audio postcard. And um, no, no offence, Nick, but if you're in the UK like me, you've probably not been anywhere for absolutely yonks. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, are you happy to cede the crown this month to Ken McDonald as the winner of the quiz? Are you, or, or does that bristle with you? No, that's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Very, Very magnanimous of you, Nick. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. Ken McDonald has won uh, yet again. Nick has given up his crown this month to Mr. McDonald. And we're going to have an audio postcard about Chicago, a place which um, I really do want to visit. So, whew, Claire, I feel this has been a tip top edition. I don't know about it's you, but I, I'm proper exhausted with all this level of excitement. We had a tiebreaker on the quiz. Blooming excellent. Blooming excellent. So, Claire, how do we wrap things up? Well, I'm going to give you my map fact of the month, right. and then we're going to be a real reminder for next month, and we're going to fold up our maps after that. So, my map fact of this month. I learned from watching the Map Men on YouTube, and that's a little link because they're our guests next month. Jay Foreman from the uh, Map Men is our guest next month. Um, and the fact is that the most expensive map in the world was Martin Waldseemuller's map of the world, which incorporates the first usage of the word America. Uh, which was bought by America and is now on display in the US Library of Congress. And they paid $10 million for it because they were so desperate for this map, which was the first usage of the phrase America, even though North America isn't even barely on this map. So um, it's a bit bizarre, but it's, it, it was felt to be a very important founding document that recognised America as a place. So that's why they paid the big bucks. And um, so the most expensive map in the world. And uh, we'll be have more, of, more from the map men next month when we record on the 3rd of July. You know, that's, that's interesting because I would have just presumed it would have been the map of Monday. But then I think there's more than one map of Monday, isn't there? And maybe it's not been sold recently. Through that. And also next month, we're going to have Sergio's uh, audio postcard. Um, so and that and that is uh, most excellent. So uh, listen out for that if you're listening on the podcast. But if you're one of the select few, one of the choice uh, viewers, you'll be watching that on Zoom also. But Phoebe Smith, uh, thank you for for gracing us with your illuminous presence. Uh, <laughs> you're most wonderful. I'm still scared. You still still do frighten me. This is the man uh, who's afraid of cows, by the way. Absolutely, absolutely. As I said, I'm a very much a creature of uh, human civilization. Give me some tarmac. Give me, give me some architecture. And I feel at home. But I do hear that the the great outdoors is a wonderful thing to behold. Thank you. Well, I think I feel like I've maybe convinced you a little bit. And uh, you've got your maps. You can enjoy the outdoors, like I said, from your chair, which um, is a is a joy in and of itself. Well, I, I, I tell you what, I do like. When, when, when you know, I, and I've done this with with a few friends. Goes, Let's go camping, Royfield. I'm like, I'll come with you to the countryside, but I'll stop in uh, a bed and breakfast. <laughs> Wonderful way of seeing the great outdoors. But there you go, <laughs> folks. Claire, is it time for us to uh, fold up our maps? It's time to fold up our maps. There you go, folks. We'll see you all again in approximately what uh, thirty uh, days for another barnstorming, rip roaring episode of uh, Map Corner. Take care. Look after yourselves. Be good. Tatty, bye. Bye. <laughs> thanks so much, Phoebe. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. You take care.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save 